Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am talking to the educator, designer, and historian Teal Triggs. Teal is a professor of graphic design and associate dean at the Royal College of Arts School of Communication. She is also the founding editor of the Journal of Communication Design and has written for publications like I, Design Observer, Visual Communications, and Design Issues. In this conversation, Teal and I talk about her own background and early interest in design, history, and journalism, as well as the value of design research, archives, looking at design history as more than just a collection of objects, and expanding the discourse beyond the often solely Western European canon. I had been wanting to talk to Teal for a while. I've been a huge fan of her writing and research for years, and she had been on my list of dream guests since I started the podcast. So I'm so glad we finally got to have this really wide-ranging conversation about a lot of things that I think are really important subjects in the design discourse that we often don't talk about on this show. So as you can see, I really enjoyed this one, and I think that you will too. So let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Teal Triggs. You're somebody whose work I've known for a while and in a lot of the uh, kind of design writing that I've been researching and studying, your name kind of comes up again and again. Uh, but I don't actually know that much about your background. And so I kind of wanted to start with where your interest in design started or where did that originate or come from? Um, that's a that's a really good question, and it's also interesting that you say that in terms of the writing, that uh, I haven't revealed myself necessarily uh, through through the text itself uh, yeah. over these years that that, that I've been practicing. Um, but in terms of my background, I've, I've I've got kind of an interesting mix in terms of you know why I'm here and how I'm here uh, in relationship to uh, graphic design. Um, I grew up in a household where uh, my mom had trained as a journalist, mm -hmm. and uh, while she never practiced outside of being uh, one of the editors on her university uh, newspaper, uh, she still had a very strong interest in writing. And my dad uh, had been a painter who had studied with some of the uh, Bauhaus guys out in California. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, then he uh, decided that he wanted, I guess, more worldly experience. So he joined the armed services and he joined the Navy in the first instance uh, and then decided that the idea of being a pilot, which is what he wanted to do, and land on aircraft carriers that were moving... <laughs> Uh, was not a good idea. So he did that for a bit, and then he transferred over to the Air Force. Okay. And that I'm telling that for the reason that I think it's really important that he eventually became a graphic designer, and primarily when he knew he had to settle down, because I was coming along, and you know, right. my parents had married at that point, uh, and he needed some kind of economic stability, which the fine art practice wouldn't necessarily uh -huh. uh, gain him. Um, but also in the sense that his kind of training uh, from a precision standpoint 
impacted how he designed and what he designed. And he was very influenced by kind of a dogmatic Swiss mm -hmm. uh, design approach. So when I came along, I come into a household that, you know, it was a, a, a house that my dad had uh, designed, oh. 1950s uh, in Austin, Texas. And the house is still there. My brother and his wife lived there. My brother's an architect. Oh, okay. And he's done some modifications on, yeah. on, on the house to, you know, make it his own. But the, the original structure is still there with these, these new additions. But growing up in that kind of household um, where there was a dogmatic position, but um, Dad also started teaching at the University of Texas around, I think, 1967, 1968. So right at the crux of, you know, when lots yeah. of interesting going on politically, particularly on the UT campus. And I was about 10 years old at that time. And I, I think it was the fact that he took me to some of the, uh, the protest rallies against the Vietnam mm. War, the student protest. Um, I got to see that kind of, you know, through the lens of a, a 10 year old. But also growing up in a house where there was a lot of graphic ephemera around. Right. We, there were posters on the wall. There was an Eames chair. There was Mad Magazine on the coffee table. Oh, wow. And it was just like growing up in Austin, the kind of countercultural thing became absolutely yeah. key to my awareness about graphic design. So that's kind of where it got started, this kind of combination of, you know, my, my parents' future life and, and past life. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, too, because something that I was curious about is I, in, in researching you and preparing for this interview, I did see that you studied graphic design in undergrad. And so I was kind of curious about the your relationship between design and writing. And so it's interesting that those two things, you know, essentially have been in your entire life. Yeah. And in fact, uh, my parents um, used to tell this story and whether or not it's true, you, t you take it with a <laughs> salt. Um, but when I was very young and the kind of first starting to talk and formulate yeah. vocabulary, uh, my dad always said that I pointed to the, the magazine sitting on the table and said, magazine. So that was before I said, hey, dad, or hey, mom, <laughs> it was right. magazine. That's so amazing. I think at that point, there was kind of a destiny thing going yeah. on. Um, so, yeah, so it, 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 there is this kind of past context and growing up with, you know, literature and text as well as kind of a design atmosphere. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I'm curious. I, I, this might be skipping around a little bit or we might be kind of jumping ahead, but I'm kind of just wanting to piece some things together. Um, mm -hmm. So... You studied, so you went to you went to college and you studied graphic design. Um, what were you thinking, kind of career wise, or what were your interests at the time? Kind of what what were you hoping to do after you had graduated? Um, well, I started studying graphic design after originally applying as a music major oh. because I had played uh, piano and wanted to go into okay. music. But then I, uh, my parents very kindly for high school graduation gave me money to do an art history course in Europe. Oh, okay. So uh, McDonald Smith, who had run the program out of UT Austin, uh, always took a small group of students, and uh, that gave me an opportunity to see you know, a slightly different take on things. And after that, I came back and I and, and I enrolled in my dad's graphic design class oh, wow. at UT. <laughs> 
uh, unbeknownst to him and uh, not exactly pleased to see me because he <laughs> said you can never make any money in education or graphic design. Um, so wow. in terms of kind of where I headed with that and what I thought I might achieve is that I saw something in that particular point in time where designers were not just doing things for good, they were doing things for social good. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, if, if I can take what I understand the visual to be at that time, it was very much about a visual language rather than the kind of multi-sensory uh, platforms that we deal with now. Right. Um, if I can do something with that, then I want to go into this profession. But I also want to go into a profession because my dad had been such a great educator. And there was something there that I thought, okay, if I could help somebody else, if I could help one student yeah. kind of, you know, do something different and achieve something they want to achieve, then education would be interesting. Yeah. So right from the, the kind of first day, it was it was that kind of combination of wanting to do both design and education. I, I love that. That's so, it's, I don't, I've talked to a lot of people and I don't really hear that kind of immediate connection right away there seems to to be one of them comes first and then the other one kind of seems to come later um so did you ever did you so when you graduated did you work as a designer uh and the reason i ask is because i know you primarily as a educator writer historian researcher did, was that kind of right away what you were doing yeah yeah no absolutely and um you know i know my dad is becoming quite central to the story but in a way he was a huge impact but yeah. also he facilitated uh, a lot of uh opportunities uh for things that i was interested in in, in, in trying out and he had a design studio as okay. well as teaching so um i used to spend the weekends in the design studio doing odd jobs like you would in any kind of you know look it's the kid in the back room who needs to make a cup of tea and maybe clean out the old right. kind of gum machines that we right. used to use and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I did have this kind of almost a, apprenticeship through mm -hmm. his studio. And through that, he helped kind of facilitate working on small design jobs. And then yeah. it kind of grew that I thought, well, okay, there's a small clientele here that are interested in the kinds of things that I'm doing. So I started doing more of that and a little bit of a freelance business. Granted, I did a lot of photography at that time as well. Okay. And so it kind of, it was a design photography practice. And then um, I started working at the University of Texas Press under George Lennox. Oh, okay. And because uh, George had run the um, uh, fourth year design lab. Mm -hmm. So I got to know him through that. And then he became the, uh, the head of uh, UT Press Design. And so he hired me as a book designer. So I worked for a number of years as a book designer. Okay. So I did do the graft, yeah. I promise you. <laughs> no, I mean, I wasn't, I was not asking out of any kind of judgment. I was, I, I always find it interesting of, of people who, um, you know, people who are kind of, have made their career as historians or writers or researchers, why they had, why they decided to turn their gaze to graphic design. And so someone who studied graphic design, but it's kind of primarily, you know, at least for me from someone on the outside has made their career in a more academic setting, you know, kind of how those things came together. So it's interesting that, like I said before, they've just always been there for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, it was whilst working as a book designer and working with George in particular, who he had at one point been um, head of design at University of Hawaii Press, which had been quite innovative mm. uh, in, in the, the, the 60s and 70s and 80s. And um, the conversations with him and working closely with him was amazing. And then I started thinking about where's our history of graphic design? Yeah. Where's the kind of critique? How do I know what I'm doing is okay, and where do I fit into this bigger picture? And that's those those kinds of questions. Working as a, a practicing, you know, book designer, became absolutely key to me. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to go back and do an MA. You know, th okay. there's got to be somebody out there who gets what I'm looking for. Right. Um. Unfortunately, there was. Yeah. So. And so, I mean that. That exactly was what my next question was going to be, was where the interest in history and kind of how that set you up for what's next. So is that when you went to London then? Um, no, the okay. slight step before that. Sorry. Okay. I've, got, I've always been in education. You okay. know, I just I can't get enough of it. So um, I did an MA in art history at the University oh. of Texas. Oh, okay. And it was at that point um, I was introduced to Jeffrey Makel, you know, the great industrial design yeah, historian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jeff had uh, just kind of come out with um, his book on streamline American, mm -hmm. you know, industrial design and yeah. so forth. I thought, man, here's somebody who understands the word design and there's a history of design. Yeah. Um, so I had a really good chance of, of working with him on my, my thesis project and taking a couple classes with him. In addition to, um, you know, the other people that were, were teaching in the art history department, Linda Henderson in particular, okay. who is quite well known for her work on yeah. um, you know, kind of, you know, early art history and so forth. Um, and she was really good in, in helping me kind of understand the critical practice of being an art historian yeah. and being a writer as yeah. well. So that kind of got me started. And then I realized that I was submitting work to an art history department. And so despite these couple of individuals who are absolutely key in, in formulating my kind of history, um, it wasn't a design history context. Right. So that's when I thought, okay, time to do a second MA and look at, yeah, I know, whatever. Um, look at other places, maybe internationally, because I, I still had the travel bug. Right. Uh, where I might be able to look at, at uh, design history uh, much more specifically in terms of its kind of heritage and tradition and, of course, early development at that time. Okay. So there were three three programs, University of Cincinnati, which was too cold for me in the winter. <laughs> my yeah. um, the Royal College of Art and uh, Middlesex Polytechnic, which is now Middlesex University. Okay. The Royal College of Art um, rejected me. But beautifully, and for all the right reasons. So ironically, I'm now there. Right. Um, but uh, that was absolutely fine because it, what it did, it got me to Middlesex, where I had the real fortune to work with um, the kind of emerging history of design field okay. and the people that were really setting the foundations in, in kind of a European sensibility yeah. of what design history might be. So that all worked out beautifully. So I have a I have a couple I have a couple questions kind of around that and then I kind of want to talk about how that has is influencing the work that you're doing today. I'm interested uh -huh. though specifically about you know kind of working 
and being in an art history department, basically, and then being in a design history department, did that change? I'm, I'm interested in a couple things around this. Did it change how you thought about your own design practice at that time? And then the inverse, did having a design practice have any influence on how you approached this historical content? Yes, both. Okay. Uh, both definite yeses. Um, I think what coming into a context where design history was actually being understood as a, a, an emerging field in its own right uh, gave me an opportunity to feel more confident the fact that I was coming in as a practitioner. Right. Uh, Primarily, I mean, yes, I had an MA in art history, and but I would never say that I was an art historian. I didn't okay. practice art history in that kind of way that many, you know, of, of the great colleagues uh, that I've had um, mm -hmm. are able to do. Um, so it it allowed me to feel that it was okay to talk about design history as someone who had been engaged in the practice of design history, right. and that. I hoped that what I understood, particularly in graphic design, would help inform the way we write about design or the way that we look at the artifacts of graphic design. Yeah. I mean, so this is this is great because this is something that I was really interested in talking to you about. Something I've something I've been thinking about a lot and I from what I've read of of your work, I think this is something that you've thought about a lot also or you know fingers crossed i hope that it is but uh something i've been thinking about a lot is the way a lot of design history and, and specifically graphic design history has become a history of the object or the artifact and what often gets lost in that is you know modes of working practice the kind of theories around these things and i'm I'm really interested in kind of how you think about that and, you know, kind of what gets lost in translation and that kind of mapping of history and how we can kind of, you know, better understand the historical context around which these things were made. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. I was I was talking to some of our students uh, yesterday in this lecture on, uh, well, it's actually a seminar on... Um, graphic design exhibitions. Mm -hmm. And this is an area that I'm, I've become really fascinated by because I think we're now far enough along in um, defining this kind of potential trajectory for graphic design history specifically. Yeah. And I'll get to the point about how it might be different from other design histories, if, okay. if at all, I think it is, um, that we, we are in a really unique position in our understanding of graphic design and in being designers, graphic designers, that um, we've been in positions with, which could be art directors, working with large teams, pulling together ideas, dealing with audiences mm -hmm. directly. Um, and it's not just about consumer culture, but it's about the facilitation of participatory cultures or services or, you know, mm -hmm. all that kind of thing that, yeah. you know, graphic design is, has broken out into, and it's no longer just about, hey, let's design a poster. Right. Uh, it's great because we still need printed posters. I'm all for it for print. Yeah. Um, but it's no longer necessarily defined by being a service 
right. that I think it has expanded. You know, so we, we, we are kind of looking at an expanded practice for graphic design. So I think all that helped um, help me in terms of understanding a graphic design history that we can be authors, that we can mm-hmm. be the designers of, but we can also be the historians of and we're the practitioners of and bloody hell, we can be the critics of it as yeah. well because there's an inherent understanding. And it does raise questions about objectivity, mm-hmm. which we can talk about. But I think in terms of looking at a history and help defining that history and understanding that history, there's there's a nice way into it as a practitioner. You, you, you have the nuanced understanding of the profession, yeah. but that profession's not always visible. And if it's visible, we know historically that we were seen as wallpaper, and if it worked, you didn't see the artifact at all. Right. Um, so it's always been slightly problematic in that sense when you, you want to uh, talk about this graphic design history. You know, getting at it, I yeah. think it's been a little bit d- difficult than, say, industrial design history or product history, which has those artifacts right at the, the foreground of it. Yeah, you know, I talked... That's it. This is something interesting that I actually hadn't thought of before. So, so I'm about to kind of give a train of thought that I'm not sure is going to, you know, match up exactly. But I talked to uh, Michael Rock, who quoted, I think it was Bruno Latour, who said that design has moved uh, kind of in, in kind of cultural consciousness, has moved from the end of the process to the beginning of the process. Where Absolutely. you kind of don't really start any project unless there's a designer involved in some way. How does that change how you think about your work as a you know historian or an educator? And you started t- touching on this already, um, you know. But like, how do you? Uh, this is becoming a very big question. But how do you think about teaching that, or how do you think about cataloging that as a historical moment in time? Um, yeah, that is a big question. Okay. (laughs) Let me think about it. So let me, let me talk about it from the point of being a researcher. Okay. That might be a little bit easier. And then we can look at how that might be, uh, disseminated or, um, brought into an educational kind of context. So I think as a researcher, I do, I, I'm still very active, um, bringing a graphic design lens and a design historian's lens to big research projects. So we do a lot of work with industry. Um, so the RCA has a long tradition of, you know, reaching out in industrial context and uh, looking at that relationship between what an academic institution can bring uh, new ways of thinking on innovation or whatever it happens to be in terms of uh, an industrial professional practice context. Mm-hmm. So we've been working with, clients who um, still see graphic design as something that is an end process. So it's about the packaging of something or it's about the branding of something. And we're talking about, you know, international corporations. So we've worked really hard to kind of pull that back in to that understanding that we do need to be at the beginning. So I think whereas other uh, design uh, areas have kind of conquered that Mm -hmm. aspect, I think we're still a little bit slow into getting to the table very early on. So I think that's something we need to break down a bit more in terms of, uh, you know, professional context or professional. Mm -hmm. Um, So by being right at the beginning of that, I think, I think graphic designers knowing that you have to have some kind of 
outcome, but you don't know what that outcome is going to be, have the capability of asking very pointed questions uh, to the people that they're working with or with the client or whatever kind of context it happens to be um, in directing and moving forward in a much more iterative process and coming in rather pointedly and not just saying, is that going to work, but is it going to communicate? Right. Is it, it going to get across what you need it to get mm -hmm. across? Are we actually matching up the right methods to allow us to do that? And more interestingly, what are the methods we might innovate in right. order to do that process to get us to the end? So I think we've been really good, and particularly in the kind of British context of um, service design and communication design, uh, where graphic designers are kind of forming the basis of these, these new emerging disciplines, mm -hmm. that it is about that sense of communication and the tools through which that act is, is, is encountered and yeah. engaged with. And that's where I think it's just slightly different. And I, that we are generalizing, so I want to yeah, make yeah, it yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know designers in general go through a similar process, but I think it's back to this kind of core of the communication and, and what that actually does into, in terms of a design process yeah. and our understanding of communication as a result. I want I, I kind of want to hold on to this thread for a little bit, and I, I, I really find that answer really interesting and I'm curious about how you kind of apply that way of thinking to your teaching practice and so my first question is are you t I, I guess very simply who are you teaching and kind of you know what types of classes are you teaching um like like are you teaching people who will become practicing designers or are you teaching people who are going to be kind of design writers, historians, things like that, you know, or is it both? And then how do you kind of educate st students about that way of thinking? And the reason I ask that question is I'm thinking back to my own undergraduate education that was very formalist and practical, and it was very much kind of rooted in the modernists' philosophy of, you know, here's how you make a grid, here are the good typefaces, here are the bad typefaces, here's how you make a you know, pleasing layout uh, that kind of doesn't hit at all of that other stuff about communication and how it lives in the environment that it's going to, to you know, be seen in. Yeah. Um, okay. So who I teach and how I okay. teach and what I teach. Uh, first of all, at the, the Royal College of Art, we don't, teach in the kind of conventional sense that you're referring to. Okay. Um, first of all, it's a wholly postgraduate institution, oh, which okay. means we've got MAs and PhDs and, oh, and, and master's Yeah. So in terms of an undergraduate program, um, we don't have that with, within our institution. So it, it, yeah, so it gives kind of a different take. Yeah, I completely um, I miss that somehow. Yeah, I have taught extensively on undergraduate programs prior to coming okay. to the RCA. But I think, um, and we can talk about those undergraduate programs, which I, I have absolutely adored doing for, for a whole host of other reasons. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of being at the RCA, what it's actually done is gotten me to think differently about how I teach mm. and what I teach. So I think there is a, a relationship to what you're saying here or asking a question around. So 
in the, the sense that we're not teaching, we're actually um, very much involved in learning. Mm. So learning mm. becomes quite active. And learning is about a dialogue or a conversation. Mm -hmm. And you're dealing with um, a level of student, and I don't mean level in terms of being brighter than anybody else or what have you, right. yeah, yeah. but a level in terms of experience. So... Uh, a lot of our students have been out already working in right. design practice or related areas. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of students with sciences as well, so we've got a, a really interesting uh, cohort yeah. uh, with a good mixture there. Um, we we do have students who've been undergraduates that come into the MA as you know directly, so they haven't necessarily had that break, and. That's what I find exciting about the MA programs in particular yeah. is you've got a really interesting mix of educational experiences, cultural experiences, professional practice experiences, but in both cases, multiple sets of questions. You know, right. who am I and what am I doing here yeah. and where do I fit into this big thing called design? Yeah. Um, or fine art if you're in the School of Fine Art, uh, or, or what have you at the RCA. But in terms of um, the kind of mix that we have in the school, my, my role is uh, primarily managerial. I'm an associate dean, and that's also been really great for me to be able to be in a position of working with Neville Brody in the, mm, in the first yeah. instance, and um, creating a a kind of culture within the school, if not more broadly, about uh, understanding process, right. understanding innovation, and understanding that relationship between the kind of academic and the professional practice and the industry context. So a lot of that has kind of seeped into curriculum development with the aid of you know some wonderful staff uh, members who you know contribute significantly yeah. to curriculum development. But I think we're, we're all providing a framework and a, a, a space in which the students are at the center of that. Mm -hmm. And they're driving this game. You know, they're, they're at the edge of something. Um, but we, we have the experience to ask the questions. Yeah. And to help guide them through that process or, or bring out the Kleenex box if we need to. <laughs> <Right>. or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know. Because uh, there's a lot of identity crisis taking on when when you when you're having to stand back from being a designer or standing back from being an undergraduate student and you know who am I now right. and where do I want to be and how do I get there? Um, yeah. So we're asking the same kind of questions of graphic design. Yeah. You know who am I? Right. Um, and and you know how do I actually get to a position where graphic design is a bona fide discipline with with the history with the theory and with a, a, a critical practice that goes along with them so that's yeah so that so that's part of it. but I want to say that I also do PhD students oh okay and I think that um, uh, in terms of my teaching um, I do input on the MA programs but my my heart at the moment has been primarily in developing a program or a framework where our PhD students can uh, flourish, yeah. that they can really get on with their uh, their own potential, and working with supervisory teams and bringing in guests and researchers and um, you know various other people dealing in research methods or theoretical practices to help facilitate what is um, normally a very isolating experience being a sole researcher. Right. Um, 
Most of our students are uh, practitioners in some kind of way, and we extend that to writing. Okay. So, you know, we, we don't separate out the kind of act of making something or the act of inter intellectually engaging with something. That is about a practice. Yeah. And so there to help facilitate and, and help provide that, that framework for the students to get on with, with their own, you know, particular subject areas yeah. and expertise. That is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about next. I have a couple, I have a small question that I want to ask first about the PhD students. Um, what, what are, I, I don't know how to ask this without it sounding kind of like a, a flippant question, but I'm interested in kind of what does a student come into the PhD program? What are they seeking and kind of what are you, what are they kind of headed towards and, and what are you kind of directing them or kind of advising them in? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And it's actually one of the first things when someone contacts me and they say, I'm interested in doing a PhD. And I turn it right back to them and say, why do you want to do a PhD? Um, but it's to help an individual candidate actually think about, is it a project that they want to do? Or is it a piece of um, in-depth investigative research, mm. which has its own conventions and its own way of being within an academic community. Right. Um, you can have projects in PhDs, but they're framed in particular ways. They need to be systematic and rigorous in how they get put together and the evidencing mm -hmm. needs to be there and, and all the other conventions of, of a PhD. So I think we, we ask that question right up front. In terms of some of the reasons that people come in to, to do a PhD, we get um, some candidates who are quite keen to have an academic career so like any other academic career, right. a PhD is kind of part of that career uh, journey that yeah. they need to undertake. Um, although we are very careful that it's not about just giving somebody a PhD because they want to be an educator. Right. Uh, they still have to have a soul. They still have to have a reason for, for doing something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, because it won't sustain them for the period of time. You know, it's, it's a, it's a three year full-time commitment or a six year part-time commitment. That's a lot of years to give over yeah, to, that's intense. you know, yeah, it's very yeah. intense. Um, so we, we get that kind of rationale. We get, um, designers, uh, getting to a point where they're either being asked to engage in more research in the professional context that they're dealing with, and they want to look at areas of innovation. Mm -hmm. So it may be something around materials or production processes or methods that will help them in their own practice be able to develop those ideas and, and those kinds of contexts. But nonetheless, it still needs to have the same kind of you know systematic and rigorous yeah, approach. Yeah. And in, in all cases, it's about what what's your contribution to new knowledge? Right. Now, what's that little tiny gap, you yeah. know, that you're trying to fill? Uh, and and allowing other researchers after you to, to question that or to build on that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that every student has a different reason for coming okay. in. And for me, that's part of the excitement. Yeah. Because the the, the learning day is uh, never the same. Right. Yeah. So every time I meet a student, there's a different set yeah. of uh, discussions that are that I are undertaken. That. Yeah. 
I want to come back. I want to come back to something that you had said kind of before I asked specifically about the PhD students um, about the relationship between design and writing and kind of seeing those as one type of practice and another type of practice. Uh, and I think sometimes, I think a lot of what I've been doing, or at least what I hope I'm doing with this podcast is showing that thinking and making are not two opposing activities and that design theory and design practice do not have to be separated. And so I'm curious about how you think about that, both at a personal level in your own work, and then also kind of stepping back and for the profession at large, how those things relate to each other. Yeah, I I really do believe that, you know, as you're suggesting, that there, there is not a division for me between the, the thinking and the making or the writing and the designing. Yeah. That, you know, you can design a piece of text right. as much as you can design a poster. Right. Um, and the kinds of processes that you go to in terms of thinking through that text or you're setting up a proposition, uh, you're interrogating that or describing that in some way, and then you're reaching a set of conclusions, you know, it's the same in graphic design. And, again, it's about communication. You, As a writer, you're talking to somebody out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a designer, you're talking to somebody out there. So um, whilst there's some nuance differences, um, I would say generally that it really is a same kind of process for me. And it's something that I'm very keen to uh, engage with students on, that you know, yeah. it is about not feeling intimidated by writing. Right. Because that's what you often get. You know, I'm a designer, therefore I'm not a writer. Right. But we're starting to see um, uh, a number of students uh, in the visual communication uh, MA and, and the other MAs we have as well, but the ones I've been working with closely, really engaging with written text as part of their toolkit mm. as communicators. Yeah. And so we've got a substantial number of these kids doing research projects which are resulting in books. Oh, interesting. Which they are, um, you know, they're publishing. So they're going through the full publishing cycle. Yeah. And also developing new ecologies around publishing futures as well as right. a result. Right. But, but the written word is just seen as another design element yeah. in a process of wanting to communicate to a particular kind of audience. Yeah. So it's it's absolutely key. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, I think it's interesting that many of your students are producing books that are kind of being written and designed. And something that I'm really interested in is just the, in general, kind of contemporary design discourse. And I'm, I'm curious, I don't know exactly, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't know exactly how to frame the question that I'm trying to articulate right now, but I'm, I'm interested in what are the, you know, what is lacking in your view in, in contemporary design discourse and the things we talk about design. And I'm interested in, in that question uh, from you, from like a, even a historical perspective of the way designers have thought about their work in history and, you know, how that's influencing contemporary designers. I don't know if that. Yeah. Well, let, let me see if I can start with an answer and okay. see if it's hitting the mark on what you're trying to say. So just from a personal perspective and things that I've been quite interested in and what, 
I've uh, kind of banged on about for a long period of time is that um, in in terms of kind of creating this canon of graphic design, it um, you know as writers we're contributing to that canon yeah. because fixing it in a text yeah. that's in a book that sits on a shelf right. or is in digital space or is in a podcast. Yeah. Um, so we have to be um, really aware that whilst there are a lot of great, you know, um, white middle-class male designers in this world, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's equally the same number of, uh, you know, women, yeah. uh, different cultural practices, different, I mean, different kinds of experiences. So that, that notion that we've kind of... Um, we're in danger of falling into the trap of history and establishing these really firm canons. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's so important that as a historian and as an educator that we're kind of saying, okay, how can we look for or discover or rediscover people working in other areas, people working yeah. in different ways, other countries, which, you know, Face it, we've been very westernized, almost Anglo-American in yeah. many ways in terms of graphic design and, and, and its history, that we need to kind of not break out of it in the sense of, you know, dishing it or mm -hmm. discarding it, because it is part of our history, but really problematizing it. And yeah. I think that's just an area in terms of, you know, alternative ways of looking at something, but that shouldn't be alternative. It should be the same as. Right, right. You know, this I've I've mentioned this to other people that I've talked to. So for people who have listened to other episodes, I'm probably starting to sound like a, a broken record a little bit. But something that I think about a lot, and it's what you're kind of hitting at a little bit also, in thinking about design history and its application for practicing designers today is that, and this is coming back to our earlier discussion about kind of history of objects versus history of practice, is that somewhere along the way, the kind of Bauhaus, Swiss modernist theories of design became not theories, but, you know, law. Almost. Yeah. And that just yeah. became the way that design was taught and that that was a set of theories by a small group of white men in a very specific time. And how, you know, and that's just wrong, you know, to kind of still think that that is, you know, quote unquote, the way to design, I think. How do you, how do you think about using history to kind of break out of that a little bit today or yeah, how, how I mean, do you start to go it, about it, that yeah now again this is a really good question so um one of the things that that you may know is i'm incredibly passionate about archives mm -hmm. and of course archives are these kinds of receptacles or containers of different kinds of histories and um they're curated collections yeah. uh, they have positions or perspectives on you know uh, uh, our world views yeah um, and I'm really interested in, in getting students um, and designers into archives and enlivening them in some kind of way and using them as kind of not only understanding a history, because I think that's really important, but understanding it's not the history right. either. 
Right. And what is it? Can, what is it that they can do to make it their history? Mm-hmm. So you know, really kind of bring this to a fore. So it's it's about using the past and using the kinds of strategies of history and and you know history documentation and and so forth to understand how we construct something. Right. So what kinds of narratives are we actually constructing through these artifacts or through these practices that that are in these archives? Mm-hmm. And we've we've got students who are just absolutely thrilled to be sitting in the middle of archives. And I think part of it, of course, is, is you know, history's come full circle yeah. in terms of, hey, man, everybody's been on their computer for a long time. You know, all this screen stuff, I'm getting sick of it. I want to get back to the physicality, the materiality yeah. of the book yeah. uh, you know, or hold that poster or, or what have you. So they're, they're, these kids are just jumping into these archives. And uh, for me, just watching that process and, and having conversations with them about it, it gives a new sense of history for me. Yeah. That you know, it's not about you know my perspective anymore. It's about their perspective, and and gosh, isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah. And how can we now problematize this and and have a have a conversation? So I think that's again where you know history and practice yeah. uh, can really come together, and it, it's not negating, but it's it's another set of skills and capabilities to question, right. to understand, to, to problematize what it is that yeah. we're, we're actually seeking. Where are we moving toward? Yeah. What's the future of all this? Yeah, I, lo- I, I love that. I have, I have just a couple questions. I know we're starting to get short on time, so I have just a couple questions to kind of wrap it up a little bit. Um, you know, this, this podcast is kind of ostensibly about uh, graphic design criticism and how we talk about design. And I started, we started talking about this a little bit, but I'm, I'm interested in, and this is a question that I ask everybody that I talk to. What are the the kind of issues or topics or subjects that designers should kind of be turning their their kind of critical gaze on today or the things that are not being talked about enough right now? Okay. Um, I think we still need to talk about gender mm-hmm. and the canon and and what that history actually is and, and be, be critical of it and yeah. but constructive. Uh, in understanding um, the emerging area of, of uh, the decolonization of design, yeah. it's really yeah. um, taking off. Or well, it's always kind of been there, but it's really come to the fore now in yeah. terms of a, a, a younger generation really wanting to to critique this and and why is it the way it is and why haven't we done anything about it and what can we do about right. it. And so I think I think it's a really important area. I think the the other area I'm interested in, in terms of criticism has to do with education. Mm-hmm. So how can we critique the very structures that, as you know, graphic design educators yeah. or design educators more broadly yeah. uh, have instilled? And you referred to some of those um, uh, previously. Um, how do we actually, you know, look at that and uh, understand that and improve on it? So how do we build on it? Yeah. Um, so I think these, for me, are the kinds of areas that um, are kind of naturally emerging in the kind of discourse, mm-hmm. but we've still got real gaps. And my one kind of kind of call for your your listeners um, is yeah. that uh, graphic design research. I mean, we're, you know, in terms of a, a really strong sense of what research might be in this field, whether it's through practice or critical yeah. practice or theoretical or whatever, um, we're not doing enough of it. 
yeah. where you know we're we're engaging in all sorts of forms of brilliant journalism, mm-hmm. and some cases it becomes flippant journalism, and yeah. and as journalism itself already has. And but what I would love to see because we we do have so many graphic designers writing in one capacity or another, and a number of uh, outlets now. And I know Rick Pointer would. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Say about that, as well. but I feel we still have quite a few venues. Yeah. Then why aren't we also <laughs> looking at what research really is and that mm-hmm. evidence-based way? And in, until we can do that in graphic design, then the kind of academic community and the professional context in which you know our students are going out to, it's there's a gap, there's a right. disconnect right. at the moment. And I just think it's it, it's so important that you know we we ask um, you know academic staff but students as well to look at what are the ways we can be researching that can be through the visual yeah but it's an articulation of ideas propositions and findings that yeah. you know is quite interesting and it can be through the text and the more con- conventional ways of of academic publishing yeah. but that's a big gap for me and that's where the kind of critical whether it's talking about a critique or its criticism as a practice or what I become quite interested in is using the strategies of research uh, with people like Chris Frayling who talked about you know design through and for Mm -hmm. and into I'm interested in what criticism is when you look at it through a research lens yeah so what's criticism through for into about and so forth right so I think those are areas that, you know, for me are really, really exciting. And there's there's a few people kind of dotted around the world that are probing into this. Most yeah. of them tend to be young PhDs who yeah. are, um, you know, in a good space to be able to do that. But I think um, these are areas that, you know, to, to be taken seriously by the, the broader design community, right. we need to really establish these areas. I... I... I'm so mad that you brought this up kind of right at the end of our time because I feel like I have, you know, 20 other questions that I could kind of ask you that I that I would love to talk to you about that. Um, my last question, just to wrap it up, though, is I'm, I'm really interested. I, this is a two-part question. Um, I'm, I'm interested in kind of one, who are the... I'm very curious about who are the, the kind of the designers, the writers, the historians, the critics who have really influenced your own work and and the way you think about your work. And that doesn't need to be people in the design profession, but who has kind of influenced the way you think about this. And then the second thing, which connects it back to kind of what you're talking about with research is who, who are those people or the books or, or things like that for designers who are interested in that kind of practice, where would you point them to kind of introduce them to thinking about this stuff um in other words what's my reading list Base, yeah yeah okay <laughs> yeah that's a better way to say it i guess yeah right um right but well, that's a really good question because it depends on what day of the week it is and and okay. you know yeah. <laughs> when i'm actually engaging with it, which hat i have on yeah. um i think in terms of uh my own personal influences um Somebody I met really early on when I was uh, uh, an MA student uh, in, in art history at, at UT Austin uh, was Victor Margolin. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you can't get much 
better as a historian is, yeah. is somebody like Victor. His, his um, collection, his edited collection design discourse uh, from like 1989 is sitting right here next to me right now. Excellent. Okay, we're on the same wavelength yeah. then. Um, but Victor was really amazing and kind of um, introducing me to the world of potential mm -hmm. with, with graphic design and, and history and, and critical thinking. Um, and um, he got me to apply to uh, the first symposium on the history of graphic design, and I gave a paper as an MA student there oh, cool. uh, to varying levels of success, as I recall. I was absolutely yeah. terrified that you had all these major figures, you know, Roger Remington yeah. and Barbara Dick and, you know, Steve Heller, all these people sitting in the audience. Um, so I've always, you know, credited him as someone who kind of gave me a really good insight and a firm foundation of what it could be. Mm -hmm. And then I just had to figure out how to get there. And the kinds of things that kind of helped me get there were people like Sheila LeBron to Bradfield. Yeah. And looking at how she was writing about feminism and critical mm -hmm. practice and then how she was engaging in that critical yeah. practice herself. Yeah. Um, and then kind of on the other end of that, Kathy McCoy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and in terms of the kind of the, the theoretical and uh, looking at the kind of use of language in graphics and how do we understand that from a theoretical perspective and postmodernism and deconstruction and uh, so forth, she was a strong influence uh, on me as well. So I think those were kind of the uh, my early formulated folk in terms of graphic design specifically. Yeah. I will say that um, you can't see, but I've got hundreds of thousands of books yeah, yeah. in this house. <laughs> And that's why I say any day of the week I could, you know, pick up off my desk uh, an Umberto Eco book right. uh, to a Calvino book to, um, yeah, to, to a recent book that I went to an event last night for, for the Sea Red um, oh. Women's Feminist Group. So, again, yeah. the kind of politics graphic language. Um, so they, they were actually quite instrumental. And then uh, when I was doing my Ph.D., uh, Michael Twyman, mm. um, again, another you know, very distinguished historian, uh, really taught me something about listening and, um, you know, working within a, a field that uh, we hadn't quite collected all of our history yet, and to write about fanzines right. Uh, right. and yeah, more contemporary aspects of, of history and criticism uh, for graphic design was okay, despite other people kind of questioning that. So, so they were kind of my people. And, and I still use their writings in, in the classroom. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll pull that back in to my teaching because I think there's still, there's a timelessness to what all these people have been doing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, some they're all kind of still writing in some kind of capacity or another. But I think that just really helped formulate my approach to education and this kind of broader perspective right. that it's, it's not just about this this poster yeah it's about the exactly. to go around it and what makes up the poster and then how we understand that poster right so that plus i mean you know we, we could be here for another hour yeah. and we could share our reading list which i think would be fantastic which i think we should do yeah i mean i was just gonna say you know i just want to thank you so much for this conversation because like you just said i feel like i could have easily talked to you for another hour this was so interesting to me, I really loved this conversation a lot. Um, and just want to thank you for your time and for sharing, um, you know, a lot of the way you think about this stuff, because I think, 
Uh, I think a lot of this is stuff that I've been thinking about a lot, but maybe, you know, haven't really been able to articulate and are subjects that don't often come up in these interviews. So thank you so much. This was really, really so interesting to me. Well, Jared, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, ramble on, so my apologies oh, for no, that. But no. I, I think what you're doing is is brilliant, and I think the, the nature oh, of these podcasts and capturing some of these moments and the, the way designers and historians and, and critics think about what they're doing is a really good project and uh, a real contribution to the field. So oh, thank you. Thanks. That, that means so much. That really is the best best compliment. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This episode was recorded on May 5th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.